Oh, weren't those meatballs delicious? Makes you want to go to Ikea. <laughs> well, let's pray as uh, we come to God's word uh, this evening. Gracious, loving, heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that you're a God who saves and you're a God who speaks. We thank you that you don't leave us in the dark, but you have given us your living word, the Bible. And so we pray, Lord, as we finish up our series in Mark, in in Mark chapter 16, that you would please speak to us, help us to see clearly who Jesus is, what he's done for us and put our hope and trust in him. Amen. Well, where is your hope? What is the thing that you put your hopes for your future in? When I was uh, younger, I used, uh, used to put my hope for my future in a few different places, but it might surprise you to hear that when I was in year five, I was put in an advanced class called PIAC. Anyone else go to PIAC? What the? Only the smarty pantsers went to PIAC. You might be wondering why I went to PIAC. The reason is this PIAC class, you didn't have to actually be that smart. You had to be ambitious and you had to be entrepreneurial. It was called high finance. And what they do is they teach us all the basics of making as much money as possible. So, every Tuesday afternoon in year five, I'd be driven off to this special school where I'd meet with a bunch of other entrepreneurial, ambitious ten-year-olds and we would be schooled in the art of making as much money as possible. Doesn't that sound fantastic for a ten-year-old? More ten-year-olds need to know how to make lots of money. As a result, I grew up, not surprisingly, having all my hope in making money. When I hit high school, that was my hopes. I put all my future desires, all my future goals and my hope for how my life would turn out in making money. And I suspect I'm not alone. Where do you put your hope? I'm not talking about what you say you hope in, Uh, you know, you've got a good Christian answer. I'm talking about what you actually put your hope in. What is your practical thing that you actually hope in for your future? Because tonight we get to stand on the edge of an abyss and we get to look out to something amazing. We get to stare at the beginning of the future of hope, real, lasting, hope, physical Hope, grounded, secure. Tonight, you are confronted, we are confronted with where do you put your hope and we're held out the offer of real, lasting, true, secure hope. In Mark 16, you want to flick there if you're not there, we we find ourselves right at the end of Mark's account of Jesus Christ uh, and it's it feels like it's quite an abrupt ending, doesn't it? You might have noticed we didn't read the rest of the chapter and the reason is some well-meaning Christians put that in after the fact because they weren't happy with the abruptness of the ending. They couldn't stand it. So they put other stuff from other places in to make it feel like, well, we've got a proper ending at last. But actually Mark's intention is to leave us hanging. He wants us to be going, 
What's going to happen next? Jesus come back? What's going to happen next? That's the whole point. He wants to leave us on the edge seeing that it's game on for real future hope. See, Jesus has died on the cross, hasn't he? He's died for sins. Last week we saw that he downed the cup of God's righteous anger for our rebellion, our sin. When he dies on the cross, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the curtain temple rips from top to bottom, you know, that place where it's separated symbolically, where humans, between humans and God, and when Jesus dies, that's ripped. Then he's buried in a tomb and we pick it up from there, don't we? What's happening? Some women go to the tomb where Jesus was buried and they're expecting death, aren't they? But they're confronted with life. Did you see they go on a funeral errand? They want to just finish up this tragic little drama. Their king is dead and they're coming expecting a dead body. But what they're confronted with is something amazing. And what is the groundbreaking event on which this hope is opened up? Here it is. It's actually what the angel says, which we'll get to in a minute. Jesus, who was crucified, has now been raised from the dead. Have a look there at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 16. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought, brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week they went to the tomb. They were saying to one another, who's going to roll, roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up they saw the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. So, do you see what's going on here? We've got the the women doing the right thing, off on their funeral errand. They've got their spices. They're ready to sort out the dead body. Because this Jesus, he was supposed to be the saviour. He was supposed to be the king, the Messiah who would come and rule and save his people, but he died. And so they're going to deal with it. But did you notice, they saw all this happen. Flick back to chapter 15 and verse 40. You've got your Bibles there, flick back to chapter 15 verse 40. What does that say? Those same women were watching from a distance as Jesus was crucified. Then flick to verse 47. Those same women saw Jesus' body buried. And now verse 1 of chapter 16, what are we told? These same women are in an empty tomb. A couple of things to notice before we get to the main point here. Firstly, Mark records the names of these ladies, doesn't he? He records their names in all three places in three, three places in eight verses. Why does he do it? Well, he's saying this is history, people. This is like source uh, citations for the clever people. I just read that in a book. I don't know what that means. But something to do with reliability. You see, those women would have been alive when Mark was writing this. And so he's saying these same women, they saw Jesus die on a cross. They saw Jesus' body buried in a tomb. And now they stood in an empty tomb and Jesus wasn't there. If you want to hear, find out whether this is reliable or not, go and ask them. And do you see what that means for us? It's eyewitness accounts of Jesus. 
They saw it. What did they see? They saw a dead Jesus, buried Jesus, and now they're in an empty tomb. They don't see Jesus. This account of the resurrection, you don't actually see Jesus, do you? But you see a messenger, a young man. He's in a white robe. That just means he's an angel. He's a messenger from God. Did you see what he says? Have a look there, verse 6. You seek Jesus. You want to see Jesus, but he's not here. The one who was crucified, he's not here. He is alive. See the place where they laid his body. This Jesus who was crucified has now been risen. Can you imagine what these women felt? They, they have come expecting death and they're confronted with life. They've come with, on a funeral errand and they're standing on the edge of life forever. So we're told what they feel like, aren't we? aren't we? They tremble, they're astonished and they're alarmed. It's like a mixture of awe and wonder that a messenger from God is telling them that this king actually is the king. He has actually come back from the dead. There's a mixture of awe and wonder and a bit of scared out of your pants in there as well, isn't there? They're just kind of absolutely petrified and they run off. But what does this mean? It means game on. It means this is the beginning of the future. Another thing to note, if Mark and the early Christians were making this stuff up, they definitely wouldn't have added women. Definitely would not have added women because to put women as the first eyewitnesses of uh, beginning the resurrection time would have just been silly because back then the uh, women's testimony was not reliable, not seen as, as a reliable thing. Even the, uh, the great philosopher Celsus said this. This was his main argument against Christianity. He said, it can't be true because the written accounts of the resurrection are based on testimony of women. So, they wouldn't have uh, written the women in. But actually that's a strong argument for it, isn't it? Because they, if they were trying to convince people that it was true, then you wouldn't write women in. Do you get it? So, the only possible explanation is that these women were actually there. Stones rolled away, the tomb is empty, an angel declares, Jesus who was crucified has been risen. Now, around this time there were heaps of different crazy guys who would um, stand up and say, I am the Messiah. And they'd gather a bunch of people around them. There's kind of messianic movements that kind of sprung up around the place. And each time the uh, so-called messianic leader was killed, what do you think happened to the movement? It collapsed. It died out, except for one. This one. The leader is killed. But the movement kept growing and growing and growing and growing. Why? Because the leader didn't stay dead. Jesus who was crucified has now been raised from the dead. Big question then. Do you believe it? Pretty simple, isn't it? Do you believe that Jesus not only died on the cross but actually physically was resurrected from the dead. Later in the Bible, uh, we're told that Jesus appeared to his disciples and to hundreds of other people. He was there, flesh and bones, not a ghost. He ate with people. He spoke to people. And there's the reality of Christianity, isn't it? Jesus is 
the king. Christians believe that Jesus not only died to take the punishment for our sins, but he was resurrected from the dead. And do you know why that's so important? Not just that it shows us that he is God, but that those who trust him will live even though they die too. That's what Jesus says, doesn't he, in John 11. Listen to this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who trusts in me will live even though they die. So here's the question for you. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because if you do, then his death is your death. His resurrection is your resurrection. If you are a Christian, you have united yourself to Jesus. His death is for your sins. His resurrection means that you will be resurrected to life eternal. And do you see how that all of a sudden, that just changes everything, doesn't it? You might have come here um, tonight thinking, well, you know, I don't know. I, I can take it, Matt, that Jesus died on the cross. No worries. That's, you know, no that's a fairly easy one, but coming back from the dead after three days, come on. If you're kind of thinking that at the moment, let me challenge you. What's stopping you from believing that God could do that? You might have come here tonight and not really expecting much, a bit like the women. They kind of went to the tomb. They weren't expecting much. But you could leave here with certain and real hope. What you do with this message right now that God is telling you in his Bible is the difference between hope in money, in flimsy things that will not last and certain and real hope for the future. You might have come here tonight expecting that, I was just thinking, death is just it. We just die and that's all. You could leave here knowing life after death. Jesus who was crucified has been raised. But that's not all, is it? Because what does that mean for us? It means Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of real future hope now. It means it now. Have a look then at verse 6. The, the angel goes on. Remember, uh, Notice as well, this is actually the first gospel proclamation. It's in the empty tomb. This is the first time uh, Jesus, the message of Jesus is fully explained or, or spoken in an empty tomb. Isn't that amazing? What does the angel say? Verse 6, have a look there. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. You see? He doesn't just say, the angel doesn't just say, Jesus died and he's resurrected. Cool. He says, Jesus has died. He has been resurrected. Now go! It's game on. This is the beginning of the future of real hope. He's saying, yes, you saw this Jesus crucified. Yes, you saw him buried. Now, he has risen from the dead. Look, he's not where he was buried. Now go. See, this is the beginning of God's great rescue plan fulfilled. 
God's rescue plan is game on now. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of real future hope. You know, I can still remember the time when the penny dropped for me about money not being my hope. I'd done PIAC and I'd kind of grown up thinking, yep, I'm going to try and make lots of money because it's going to make my life much better and I'm going to have a great hope. But I still remember the time when it just clicked for me. I'd been a Christian for a while but I was sitting in my Uncle Phil's funeral. My Uncle Phil was a big, big fella and uh, he had spent his whole life pursuing money. And there I was sitting at his funeral looking at his dead body. This Uncle Phil had spent his whole life trying to make money to get what only Jesus could give him. And he was divorced, he was died, he just died of alcoholism and it was so sad. And it dawned on me, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. And then I realised I know the one who's defeated that. We have a living saviour. So here's the big question to finish up with. How does Jesus' resurrection from the dead give us hope now? How does, how does that actually work? Here's the answer. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then this life is not all there is and that changes everything. If Jesus came back from the dead, if those women were actually standing on the edge of the future of hope, then this life is not all there is. And that changes everything. See, think about the world we live in, right? Why is it so hard to face suffering? Why is it so hard to deal with sickness and disabilities? Why is it so so hard to do the right thing when you know it's going to cost you your reputation, your money, your life? Why is it so hard to deal with death? Well, it's because we think that this life is the only life we have. We live as if this life is the only life we have. We think this money is the only wealth we'll ever have. We think this body is the only body we're ever, have, we're ever going to have. But if Jesus is raised from the dead, then there's so much more. Uh, Tim Keller in the book uh, King's Cross, you might have read that, he tells this story of a lady called Joni who was paralysed from the neck down in a really bad accident when she was 17 and... Uh, while she was trying to get to terms with her accident, she, she was uh, going to church. And this specific church, the minister at a certain point in the service said, um, everyone kneel now for prayers. And uh, the problem was she was in a wheelchair, so she couldn't kneel. And it just kind of drove home the point. And then she was at a convention and the same thing happened. The speaker said, okay, everyone get down and kneel. And she couldn't. And she just started crying. She couldn't stop the tears but she wasn't crying because she was left out or she couldn't kneel. It's because she was watching hundreds and hundreds of people bowing before their king. And this is what she said. Sitting there I was reminded in heaven that I'll be free to jump, to dance, to kick, to do aerobics. Sometime before the guests are called to the banquet table at the wedding feast of the Lamb, the first thing I plan to do on resurrected legs is to drop on grateful, glorious knees. I will quietly kneel at the feet of Jesus. 
I, with shriveled, bent fingers, wasted muscles, broken knees, no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body, light, bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope that the resurrection gives someone like me? Keller goes on, if you can't dance and you long to dance, in the resurrection you will dance. If you're lonely, in the resurrection you will have perfect love. If you're empty, the resurrection will satisfy you. See, the resurrection of Jesus changes everything, doesn't it? If you know that this life is not all there is, this body is not all you're going to have, this money is not only wealth you're going to have, these, not the only relationships you're going to have, not the only life you're going to have. If you know that someday you will be really complete, redeemed, live a resurrected life, then it doesn't matter what happens to you now. It doesn't matter how much money you have, what kind of body shape you have, what kind of job you have. If you're married or is it you're single, you've got the right house, the right car, the right family. If you've united yourself to Jesus, to his death and resurrection, if you're a Christian, then you don't need to worry about that stuff. You don't need to follow them as if they are everything. You can be brave, you can take risks, you can face the worst thing, even life in a wheelchair, with joy and hope. Because the resurrection means that one day all the brokenness, all the pain, all the suffering will be gone. So what about you? Do you believe that Jesus didn't just die on the cross for sins, but he was resurrected from the dead? And if you do, are you living with that hope now? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Everyone who believes in me will live even though they die. Let me pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ was crucified, that he died for our sins in our place to bring us to you. And we thank you that Jesus who was crucified has now been raised. And we thank you that in his resurrection we have the beginning of real future hope. And so we ask, gracious Father, that we would trust him who died and was risen for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen.